The Pac-12 has six teams in the college football playoff top 25. That's more than any other conference in America. And yet, they're still being a little undervalued. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thanks so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Comment, subscribe, please, and thank you for those of you who are thinking about doing so or who have already done so. And a thank you, as always, to my man, Carter Baines of BeaverBlitz.com, senior writer and editor, for coming on to talk about everything going down including the uh, college football playoff rankings reaction uh, a little bit here carter uh, let's let's hop right into it because there's there's so many fascinating elements of this and first of all it's great that the pac-12 has got six teams in the top 25 it's great that oregon state was there for lockdown i was doing this rankings reaction show on tuesday as the the teams were being unveiled and i was saying that i was going to be throwing a riot metaphorically on the show if Oregon State wasn't back in the top 25, but thankfully they are. Um, But Oregon State at 23. You have Washington at 17, UCLA 16, Oregon 12, Utah 10, USC now the highest rated Pac-12 team at number 7. Any surprises there? Because I look at UCLA and Washington, and I'm like, I think they're better than the next three teams in front of them. I completely agree, particularly with Washington. I think that win over Oregon, uh, excuse me, probably should have launched them into the top 15. Uh, You can probably thank USC a little bit for Oregon State checking in at number 23. I think the committee likes to prop up its top 10 teams when it has the chance to do so. And Oregon State probably should have gotten back in the top 25 anyways. It certainly did in the the AP poll at number 25. But um, anything below like 18 oftentimes is is used to build a resume for a team that the committee really likes and it's clear that the committee loves usc but I, i'm not glad that you that ucla lost it was bad for the conference but i'm glad that we don't have to have the discussion about why usc is ranked higher than ucla anymore because for a few weeks there the trojans were the higher ranked team even though their resume didn't necessarily back it up in my opinion um so things worked themselves out there but still, I mean, you, you look at a conference that in years past has been disrespected by the committee. Now it's got more teams in the top 25 than the SEC and really than any other conference for that matter. Uh, and one of them is firmly in the college football playoff mix. I think the Pac-12 is still in a pretty decent with the losses that Oregon and UCLA suffered last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And it's it's good for USC to have this many teams in the league in that mix. And I think by the by next week, frankly, Oregon State could be in the top 20. I think that's completely realistic. And you could have the Pac-12 making up six of the top 20 teams. I, I do think even though they're getting that respect, there's still a little bit of undervaluation here because the teams ahead of, of UCLA and Washington and, and let's start off by saying it's a confusing mix, and I'm sure the committee has 
their reasons. You can go either way. Because I'm sure there are Husky fans are looking at this and saying, wait a minute, we have the same record as Oregon. We beat Oregon and we're, wait for it, five slots behind Oregon. How does that make sense? But Oregon beat UCLA and UCLA beat Washington. And UCLA's win over Washington was more convincing than Washington's win over Oregon. But UCLA's win was at home and Washington's win was on the, like you can go, you know, you can oh, tie yourself too. in a proverbial knot there. Yeah, not to interrupt you there, but I, I will add to losing to Arizona State, I think will stand out to the committee. Yeah, that's, that, that's, the, that's the only thing I could come back to as, as to why they're the lowest of the 8-2 and two Pac-12 teams is that loss to Arizona State is worse than any other loss that a team had, including Arizona, by the way. Like UCLA's loss to Arizona, not good. But then if they're coming down between those two teams, then they're saying, well, if both of those losses are bad, which they are for those teams, then we're going to go back to who won between these two, and it's UCLA over over Washington there. But I, I just want to go fundamentally to the three teams that are above them. Kansas State is 7-3. and three. Okay. Ole Miss has not beaten a team currently ranked in the top 25. They're number 14. And then North Carolina plays in the ACC. We need to come up with a moniker for the ACC, the Atlantic Crappy Conference. You know, like something, something fun like that that represents what that league truly is this year. I look at UCLA and Washington, and I say, well, wait a minute. I Look, I guess I understand how you have Oregon above them. There's a case, yada, yada, yada. But, like, why do you have those teams there? Why are their resumes more impressive? North Carolina almost lost to Appalachian State. Ole Miss hasn't beaten anybody good. Washington has. I would rather reward you for a good win than punish you for a bad loss. But then you come down to Oregon State. I think Utah at 10 is appropriate. I think USC at 7 is also appropriate. Oregon State at 23 behind Tulane, who just lost playing in the American Conference this year. And I think UCF above them, like, like okay, but... Notre, Notre Dame shouldn't even be ranked. Oh my gosh, that just <laughs> I am like losses to Stanford and Marshall. I, yeah. Man, almost lost to Cal at home, yeah. and all three of those games were home. Like I can't forgive you when you have those two losses. Marshall's not even a good Group of Five team; they're a bad one, and they went into South Bend and won. That should prevent you from being in the top twenty-five for the entire season. But again. Good news for USC because they're going to beat Boston College this week. And then at the end of the year, they'll lose to USC and they'll be eight and four, but they'll be in the top 25. You know, they will keep them there. And then USC and the committee will look at Notre Dame and say, there's a ranked win. So when comparing the resumes, if you're looking at USC as a one loss conference champion or Notre Dame, or or rather TCU as a one loss conference champion, USC can look and say, look, we beat UCLA. We beat Notre Dame, top 25, and then we beat whoever we played in the Pac-12 championship game, which would be a ranked opponent, three straight wins against ranked teams. I, I mean, I don't agree with it, but you can't deny it's great news for USC that Notre Dame is sitting right there at 18. Yeah, and again, with Notre Dame, it comes back to, to my whole thing about the committee trying to prop up its favorite teams and, and the teams that it ranks highly. Who has played Notre Dame this year that's in the top 10? Well, Ohio State beat them, Clemson lost to them, and USC is about to play them. I mean, there's no coincidence there that Notre Dame checks in at the bottom of this list having played or scheduled against darn near half of the top 10. 
um, there's an element of that. Oregon State at 23, I'm okay with this week. It, you know, the Beavs beat Cal. It doesn't really move the needle. Again, Oregon State's very much a, a quality loss team to this point. It's gonna have to it's gonna have to beat Oregon if it wants to get any like legitimate. Oregon loses to Utah this week, and Oregon State goes on the road goes on the road and handles ASU. We'd be living in a world where Oregon State could come into that rivalry game at the end of the season, if not ranked higher than Oregon, probably a spot or two below them. And I think that's really intriguing as well. Yeah, and that's all. You know, it's why we play the games. It's always uh, it's always fun. I don't think the loser of Oregon Utah falls out of the top twenty. I, I'd be surprised. Just seeing as how they're sitting at 12 and 10, like either Utah loses to a top 12 team or Oregon loses to a top 10 team. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's funny that Utah is one slot behind Clemson. I think they would wax the Tigers. They would run them off the field. Oregon State's going to try to do that to Arizona State this week. But is that going to be tougher than we might think? Mm, I'll ask Carter his thoughts about the game between the Beavs and the Sun Devils, whether or not they could get tripped up there. After, I remind you, this episode is brought to you by Nugenics. Nugenics Total Tea contains man-boosting key ingredients like testophen. It's been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost free testosterone levels in men. While every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade. With Nugenics Total Tea, you get the same clinical potency levels used in the trials, and Nugenics' formulation is backed by 10 years of science and research. Nugenics Total Tea is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. Now you can get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text COLLEGE to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text COLLEGE to 231231. Text COLLEGE to 231231 to get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea today. So Carter, strange things often happen either in the desert or to the teams from the desert. Ask UCLA this year. Ask Oregon in 2019. Ask Washington this year. You can keep going. There just is something about those two teams that took it from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10. They just like playing spoiler. That's just kind of their history as programs. And maybe it's because they're both big-time party schools and they just like to go crazy. You know, they'll have really high highs sometimes and really low lows, but they just like going crazy. I, I don't know. There's got to be some mythical reason as to why that that just seems to keep happening here. Oregon State goes into Tempe this weekend against a struggling Arizona State team that's got just three wins this year. They're seven and a half point favorites. It's not the biggest line in, in the world. I, I think if you went down there, I mean, it was 14 against Cal at home. They're saying this will be a little bit of a tougher game. Home field's usually worth about three on each side, so it's you know kind of comparable and whatnot. But what do you make of Oregon State going down to, to Arizona State this weekend? Yeah, Oregon State's had Arizona State's number the last handful of years. In fact, the Beavers have actually played them at Rio, which, first of all, for any matchup to, to play in one location three years in a row is a little bit odd, especially when it's – uh, a north-south crossover, but it's just kind of the nuances of uh, the COVID scheduling and and the way that the you know the the crossover uh, rotation has has worked out. That's, 
three years in a row in Corvallis, and two of those beat them, the one loss being in the COVID year when um, I believe Oregon State had some injuries and some uh, some COVID situations in, in that game, and uh, it was a wet, windy night in, in Corvallis and whatnot. But yeah, Oregon State has has pretty much taken care of the last few years, and it's it's obviously the better team going to this matchup too, but this year, anytime Oregon State goes on the road, I I question the Beavers' ability to play at an extremely high level because when they're at Research Stadium, that defense, which is now the number two unit overall in the Pac-12, has not allowed more than 17 points in a game at Research Stadium. That's through, uh, at this point, being five games at Research. Uh, it, it's an impressive number for sure, but when the Beavers go on the road, that's when teams score on them a little bit. You know, they gave up 30 plus. Washington State put up 20, or uh, excuse me, Washington put up 24. Even Stanford put up 27 on them. And so they're, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's the energy, whether it's uh, execution or, or just focus, I, I don't know what it is. Oregon State's defense does not play as well. On the Arizona State has some offensive weapons to take advantage of that. You know, they are very talented at the skill positions. Um, great receiver play, very good running back play, and, and they've had two quarterbacks show that they're able to move the ball. Um, so I, I think Arizona State will be able to score some points on this team. And with Oregon State's passing game on the offensive, you know, I'll, I'll call it like it is. It's, it's not very good. I think the Beavers are going to have to rely on running the ball in this game, which I think they will be able to do. Um, and ultimately, I see the Beavers scoring more points in this game, but it, it will probably be closer than a lot of people might expect. Yeah, biggest key to victory in any football game is is scoring more points than the other team. I, I think the winning percentage of teams that have scored more points than the other team is almost 100%. I think you have to remove vacated wins perhaps that's uh that's keeping you from getting to that number it's generally a, a good formula but if this were to go a direction that that would have you pulling your hair out on saturday carter we won't say the u word here but if it were to to lean that way or end up with with a result that had beaver fans frustrated how do you think that plays out do you think arizona state i i feel like the sun devil's you know, their win against Washington, which looks more and more like a big-time upset every single week. They won that game in a shootout. I trust the Sun Devils' offense a lot more than I trust the defense to get critical stops in a slugfest. I, well, I think a loss for Oregon State looks like never being able to generate separation. The Beavers, I don't see Oregon State playing from behind, um, but I, I do see Arizona State at least at least keeping it close throughout. And, you know, where it would get frustrating for Oregon State, I think, is if you enter the fourth quarter and you're maybe you're down a field goal or, or something, or you've got a one point lead and you just seemingly can't sustain drives, I could see that being this kind of game. You know, it's supposed to be a little windy down in, in Tempe this week. I think game time winds are about 10 miles, uh, 10 miles an hour sustained and, and could get a little gusty there. And, you know, we've seen that play a role in Oregon State's passing game, which even in, in calm conditions, I wouldn't be particularly uh, confident in their ability to maintain drives. There are some injuries, a, a lot of injuries actually on Oregon State side that could um, hold some guys out of this game on, on both sides. I, I think like eight different guys left that um, left that Cal game and, and two of them did not suit up before it. So if some of those guys can't go, if the passing game moving, 
I could see Oregon State scoring, you know, 21, 24 points in this game. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't know if that's enough, even, even if Oregon State's defense is one of the better units in the Pac-12. Yeah, I just think back to that Stanford game and, and wonder if this Oregon State team has truly grown as this season has gone on, they've been playing at a pretty high level. I, I like, I think they've been one of the more consistent teams. Like, oh, yeah. is their ceiling all the way up here? Maybe not, but gosh, they seem to have one of the highest floors in the Pac-12 week in and week out. And I think it's been that way since the season began. Dominant outing against Boise, get a win against Fresno State, play USC tough. You know, had a bad game on the road against Utah, but the Utes in Salt Lake City are are, are darn near unbeatable. And I just look at this game and think, well, if if they if they play the way they're capable of, Arizona State won't get more than 21, 24 points. But then I think about that Stanford game, and I think, man, I I trust ASU's offense more than that Stanford game, or more than Stanford's. And that Cardinal environment, you mentioned the home field and the difference between the offense and DFBs. I wonder if it isn't a big crowd factor. Like the the, the crowd helps the defense, right? Whether you're Playing in front of, I mean, mostly when you're playing in front of home fans, that fires you up, gives you that sort of energy. I think it helps the defense far more than than it helps an offense because the defense is just so much about effort and energy and, and passion and tenacity, and offense is a little more execution-oriented and detail-oriented. And I don't know what that environment is going to be like. I hope someone's not breaking your house right now, but I don't know what that environment is going to be like down there in Tempe, Carter, because they're not going to a bowl game. They're basically just waiting for the Arizona game, which is about the only thing they have left to play for. I don't know if it's going to be a great a great scene in that sense. Like, Does that worry you at all about having a repeat of the Stanford game that required a semi-miracle late touchdown to walk out of the farm with a win? It does a little bit, and and particularly particularly because I think I came on here and talked about the lack of a crowd really impacting this team. I mean, some of the guys even admitted it. They said you know, it's it can be hard to play in an environment where there is no energy on either side of the ball. I think there will be more energy in Tempe than there was at Stanford Stadium at uh, what I, I think that was like a, a seven p.m. kick. Um, yeah, it was after it was packed twelve after dark. So, I, yeah, so so I do more juice at Sun Devil Stadium. Now, I know Oregon State's players and and coaches have identified that they play better on the or at, at home than they do on the road and and actually a few of them were asked about it this week and you know, they're aware of it. It's it's not like they go out there saying, "Oh, you know, we're on the road, let's not try as hard." It's whatever it is, you know, it's 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 one of those intangible type things. And so energy certainly um will will come into play i will say though oregon state's run defense now being the number one unit in the pac-12 and, and one of the best in the country which i can't say i expected coming into the year particularly since that group was the worst in the country about two three years ago um that leads me to believe that oregon state regardless of you know the energy in the stadium can make arizona state a little bit one-dimensional um, and that's when you can really rely on your best in the country as well. Um, so I, I think the pieces are there for Oregon State to overcome some of those energy, you know, playing on the road type deficiencies. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to execute, and, and the Beavers haven't always done that on the road. So it's it's 
of those, like, I don't really know what to expect kind of gives up more than like three, maybe four touchdowns in this game. I, I don't think Arizona yeah, State no. scored in the thirties. Yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd agree with you there. If Arizona state does get into the thirties, I think that spells potential disaster for, for Oregon state in, in this one. Oregon state's not winning that game if they score 30 plus. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I feel as well. Being away from home, it's probably going to be Ben Goldbranson again. Yeah, still, yeah. still no chance. Nolan, um, and I mean, Goldbranson's done a solid job. But like, there's, there's a clear ceiling. There was a reason he was the, the backup to Chance Nolan. He's just not quite as explosive. Um, explosive plays may or may not be hard to come by in the 125th edition of the big game. We will get to that in a mailbag question after we talk to you about Bet Online, your number one source for betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting Fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. So, Carter, this is a historical game. Maybe not the stakes you would like as a Pac-12 fan or as Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. You know, 125th playing of the big game between Cal and Stanford. 40th anniversary of the play. And it is also the year in which Joe Starkey, legendary radio play-by-play voice of the California Golden Bears, is retiring after this year. So a lot of things kind of coming to fruition. It could be a really big game. It could be awesome Bay Area teams. And and neither one is going to a bowl game this year. So it's not the perfect situation. But I'm curious your thoughts on this game. The Bears are favored by five according to our friends at bet online. And that's probably going to be in the pac 12 prime picks tomorrow. Cause I think Cal has just got more offensive firepower, which is not a great thing to say because they've been limited this year. But if you can give Jack Plummer time and Stanford struggles to get pressure, then he can make some throws. He's got J Michael Sturdivant, who's a good player. He's got Jaden Ott, who's a good player. If you know Cal just retooled their offensive staff, I expect whoever's going to be calling plays, and it doesn't change how I feel about the Cal offense because I don't think the play calling could have been much worse with, with the guys who were just there, who they have now let go. I think you got to give Jay not the ball, what, 20 to 30 times between rushing and receiving? Because the Stanford defense, they cannot stop the run. And if you get Jay not going, like the Arizona game, I think that's a formula for success for the Cal Bears. Just goes to show where these two teams are at when we're talking about offensive firepower <laughs> and it literally just fired its offensive coordinator this week yeah. after not scoring an offensive touchdown at Oregon State that's that's where these teams are at and also that the Golden Bears are darn near a touchdown favorite even though they have lost every game since September 24th and one of those being to Colorado which looks like the worst team in power five um this is probably the lowest stakes big game in quite some time. I mean, I know both of these teams have been down for the last couple of years, but this feels like, it feels like rough for Stanford really. Uh, and, and Cal's not playing much better either. So I'm curious to see how much, how much fight these teams have in them at this point in the season. I, I think this game still means a, a lot to both programs and 
for this point, you know, at this point, it's it's their bowl game. It's their Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they're not really playing for anything else at this point. So, you know, maybe they, maybe they play with a little bit of a with a little bit of fire this week. But in the grand scheme of things, it's unfortunate when games like this don't really move the needle because this is one of the great rivalries in the Pac-12 and and in college football west of the Mississippi. It is a shame that the stakes are low outside of the game. However, I think it's also a microcosm of what makes college football so great. These teams are three and seven, and we're going to see it next week with Arizona and Arizona State, especially if the Wildcats lose to the Cougars on Saturday. I'll talk more about that game on, on tomorrow's show. But you can have a season that's not going to go anywhere, not even to a, a low-tier bowl game. But when a lot of fans wake up on Saturday, they are going to want to win that game more than anything else they will want all weekend, all month, maybe all year. It's just the beauty of college football because the rivalries, I think, are you know, what make the sport part of what makes the sport so great and fantastic. And I think we're going to see that on Saturday. Should be an interesting game, but I do like, I do like the Bears to, to win and cover. Finally, a question came in that I want to discuss with you, Parker, from uh, Red Thunder, who is at Dustin Jackman on Twitter. I love when people get creative with, uh, with their names. If you ever want a question answered here on the show, hop in the YouTube comments or just DM me at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. Red Thunder asks, I like that name more and more as I say it. What's with all the guys looking to jump to the NFL this year? So many with eligibility and, at best, looking at undrafted free agent status. Example, the quarterback room is stacked this year for the draft. Are they just getting bad advice from agents? Why not work on NIL and get another year? And he also later added that it seems to be a trend that that follows good teams around. And that point, I think, is the interesting one. Because when you play on a team that in maybe not you know the entirety of the national spotlight but it has some out and credibility it's easier to draw the attention of nfl scouts so those sorts of players right from utah oregon washington who could be well served to come back for an extra season might decide to leave a year early than they perhaps should because the attention on the program and therefore on themselves is higher than it otherwise would be, and they don't want to risk taking a step back the next year, or they don't want to risk an injury. There are a lot of factors that can go into it, but I, I've seen this play out time and time again, Carter. I know there's a risk, and, and I think the injury risk is, is a big thing of what drives guys to go to the NFL early. But we've also seen players come back and up their draft stock. But, and by the way, even with big-time players, Marcus Mariota could have gone to the NFL but that second season he had as a starter, he had a knee injury. Didn't play up to his full potential. There were questions. He comes back to the Heisman, plays in the national championship game, and is the number two overall pick. He's probably a – I don't think he's the number two overall pick after his second season starting for Oregon, but he certainly was after after his third. There's a benefit, but there, there are some drawbacks as well. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, discussion to have because – it, it, it does seem to impact top-tier teams more than others, and I think obviously part of that is just because those teams have more talent, frankly. But we talked before we before we hit record about what happened at Oregon last year. I mean, 
Devin Williams, Mikhail Wright, both leaving and, you know, they go undrafted. But then on the flip side, you know, I look at, what, I, I look at what's happened at Oregon's couple of years and all of the guys who have left early, you know, we've been like, really? Like, are, are, are these guys going to get a shot? Well, Tegan Quatoriano just scored a touchdown for the Texans uh, last week. Nashawn Wright, who could have come back and, and boosted his stock, ended up being a third rounder two years ago. So, you know, those guys were clearly getting um, great intel and, and great advice from from scouts. And then you look 45 miles down the road at, at a program that is in, in more of the national spotlight. And, you know, these scouts are telling these guys, hey, you should bounce now. You don't need to waste another year in college. And then they go undrafted. It's it's interesting to see that dichotomy. Um but I don't really have an explanation of, of what the crux of that is. I think agents are a part of it, but I think just the allure of being in the NFL, and I, I do wonder if there will be kind of a tectonic shift in this trend as the years go on with NIL, because players could at least get something. And I think the appeal of leaving early before is, well, I'm not getting paid anything. I have to go to school. That's another component you have to realize is some guys are just like, I'm tired of going to school, even if it's, you know, fake classes or not actually fake classes, but easy classes, not really putting in the effort that, you know, other students will because they don't have to. That's still a chore. That's still a part of their daily life. And they may just be looking for for a change in scenery in that sense. But I think it's the payment thing because even though NIL can get you some money, it can only get you major money if you're a major player. So the guys that that you're probably alluding to here, Red Thunder, I, I continue to like it, uh, those sorts of players oftentimes are not the big-time superstars who can make six-figure NIL deals. They could probably only get you know a few thousand here and there from a company, an agency, or, you know, maybe a, a contract here and there with, with, a, with a local store in, in, of your college town, something like that. But I, I think what else, what comes into play is, look, maybe if I get drafted, boom, great signing bonus. Uh, if, if you're an early round pick, I don't remember how exactly how all that works, but you got guaranteed money coming in. You have a chance to play. You're going to get a real opportunity to start if you get drafted. But even if you go undrafted, then you're trying to make a practice practice squad. Well, then you're on an NFL practice squad, which still pays you. It's not like those guys are unpaid. They're making, I don't know, probably tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is not a lot, but it's giving you a chance. And I think some guys probably feel that that they've got an athletic prime they need to capitalize on. And they say, well, if I can just go give myself a chance, bet on myself, maybe that'll happen. And if, for example, Verone McKinley should have been drafted in, in, in my view, maybe I'm biased because I'm an Oregon guy, but he was getting draft grades and he didn't get selected. He went as an undrafted free agent, but he bet on himself instead of coming back to Oregon. And now he's playing regularly with the Dolphins and he could get a contract after this year. And so the allure of just having that chance rather than taking a chance to play another year in college where you can't get any money and where injuries could be a concern, I think those are the two biggest motivating factors as to why you see some guys leave early who you look at and go, boy, I really feel like you could take another step up if you were to just give it another season. Yeah, there will always be incentive to go pro when you're given the opportunity. 
Um, I mean, you get to your third year of eligibility and somebody tells you, hey, we're, we're going to take a shot on you in the draft. I'm, I'm not going to say guys are going to take that over what they might get in NIL because everything comes down to a case-by-case basis. But let's say you are one of those guys who's relying on car dealership money or you know a, a local restaurant billboard. Like Those are the guys who are going to give it a shot and say, Hey, at the very least, I'm going to get that same amount of money to go ride a practice squad and potentially make a roster down the line. Um, so at the end of the day, a, a lot of these guys end goals are to get into the NFL. And anytime that opportunity comes knocking, I, I think, you know, they're probably going to answer the door there more times than not. But again, it it does come down to and every priority is, is different. You know, situations vary. Um, so I... You know, I, I don't necessarily say that I, I don't necessarily think I could say that the NIL is going to end this trend of, of guys bouncing early and then regretting it. I, I think you'll always have that, but I do think, for guys who, who are a little bit more on the fence, it does give them some comfortability in coming back and saying, hey, I can earn money, and potentially boost my stock and then cash in a year later. Um, that, that would soften the blow of, of not getting that NFL paycheck for a year. Gosh, we got a lot done today. Carter Bain, senior writer and editor at beaverblitz.com. It is always a good time. Looking forward to this is going to be these next two weeks of football in the Pac-12. Oh, sign me up. Oh, yeah. Conference championship season, uh, rivalry week is coming up. So much is going to fall into place 72 hours from, from when we're recording this. Uh, by the time you and, I, you and I talk on on the Locked On Pac-12 podcast next, we will probably know who is likely playing in the Pac-12 championship, and I can't wait to talk about it. Me neither. We will see you then, everybody. I appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.